Welcome to episode 240 of the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their professional and personal development. In honor of Black History Month, we will be talking to Camila S. Majid. She's a PMP and Associate Director and Diversity Champion at Merck about Black women in engineering and STEM. Black History Month is an annual celebration of achievements by African-Americans and a time for recognizing their central role in U.S. history. Also known as African-American History Month, the event grew out of Negro History Week, the brainchild of noted historian Carter G. Woodson and other prominent African-Americans. Since 1976, every U.S. president has officially designated the month of February as Black History Month. I am your host, Jeff Perry. I'm the new host of the Engineering Career Coach podcast. I'm a leadership and career coach that helps engineers and technical professionals realize their true potential. I love helping people make intentional career transitions and optimize their success. Often we work on developing soft skills like leadership and mindset to unlock their hidden potential and remove self-imposed roadblocks. I founded More Than Engineering to bring together my love for engineering and technology with my passion for helping people improve and live more fulfilled lives. And I now run a program called the Engineering Career Accelerator. You can find more information at engineeringcareeraccelerator.com. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about our guest for today. Camila S. Majid currently works for Merkin Company as the Associate Director of Network Strategy and Execution with emphasis on product source management. He is also the diversity champion for the external manufacturing and MMD strategy. Now, starting in May 1st of 2020, Camila became the National Professionals Chair for the National Society of Black Engineers, or NSBE, or NSBE, leading the segment of NSBE that focuses on the experienced Black technical professionals. She joined the organization as an undergraduate in 1996 and served on chapter, zone, and regional leadership roles. She earned both her bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering and her master's degree in management science from Stevens Institute of Technology in New Jersey and is a well-regarded engineering and business leader. She is also a 20-year member of Society of Women Engineers and is an active speaker and workshop preventer for the SWE engagements. As a NSBE lifetime member, Camila covets the impact that NSBE has had on her leadership community and overall character development. Her multi-industry career in pharmaceutical, luxury cosmetic, consumer product and retail, and high-end apparel industries makes her a highly sought-after emerging corporate executive. Let me bring you into our main segment with a quote that's applicable to today's topic. This quote is by Dr. Mae Jemison, who was the first African-American female astronaut. He said, never be limited by other people's limited imaginations. Now it's time to jump right into the main segment of our episode. Today I'm talking with Camila S. Majid, and today's topic is about Black History Month and advocating for Blacks in STEM. Camila, so excited to have you on the Engineering Career Coach podcast. Well, Jeff, I am so excited to be here. This is one of my favorite topics. It's something that I'm so passionate about, and especially this month where there's so much historical significance for Blacks in America. Matter of fact, all parts of the world, this is just really exciting. Thank you so much for having me. 
Camila, before we jump into the topic for today, do you mind sharing with our listeners a bit about you, your work, what that looks like on a daily basis, and the kinds of people that you focus on helping? Oh, wow, Jeff, that's a loaded question. We can probably spend days with me telling you about what I do, but uh, currently I am employed at Merck and Company. Merck is one of the largest global pharmaceutical companies in the world. We pledge ourselves to bring the best medicines and vaccines and you know healthcare solutions to so many people around the world. In Merck, I have the opportunity to work in the Merck Manufacturing Division, and I am in the network strategy space. It's an amazing, amazing area where I get to apply all my years of engineering, training, manufacturing, production in a space where we help to determine and manage where product is made through all the life cycles. So it's really fantastic work. Never a dull moment in that space. And uh, I just love the fact that what we do impacts people like you and I and our friends and family, our patients, which is what is so much important to all of us. So a day for me is uh, plugging in and doing a lot of Merck work. I've got colleagues that are all over the world, not just here in the United States, but over in Singapore, China, Japan, the UK, Ireland, you name it every day. We're uh, connecting so much to do the work that we do. That's one part of my day. But I'm sure you're going to be asking about the other parts of what my day is like. But that's my main job that I do. Well, you're wearing the shirt for NSBE, the National Society of Black Engineers. I'd love to know a little bit more about your involvement with the organization and the history of the organization as well. Like, how has it started and what is its mission I am wearing one of the shirts that represents NSBE, as we call it for short. Sometimes we say NSBE or we say NSBE. So NSBE is a fantastic organization. It is one of the largest student-run, student-governed organizations. It started in 1975 on the campus of Purdue University by six young Black men at the time who just felt that there was not enough of a space or a voice for Blacks in engineering. So they started what was a small thing called the Society of Black Engineers and bubbling all the way up to today, Jeff, in 2021, we have just about 20,000 members. Even I mentioned NSBE is the largest student governed. NSBE has three different segments of talent. So the first is pre-college initiative, NSBE Junior, which we have third graders all the way up to high schoolers. And then the middle segment is our collegiate, which is all undergraduates, college students, graduate students. That's our largest. And then the third segment is the NSBE professionals, which is the experienced talent. I have the absolute privilege of being the 2020-2021 National Professionals Chairperson. So that segment with all the experienced talent, you know, one year, five year, 10 years, 16 year plus, I have the opportunity to really govern and really lead the vision of excellence and membership for those folks. So it's amazing. And I have to tell you, and I should have started with this, the mission of NSBE is to increase the number of culturally responsible Black engineers who excel academically, succeed professionally, and positively impact the community. That is our mission. Wow, what a beautiful mission and an opportunity for you to create such an impact on the community and in engineering and certainly the Black community and everything as well. Now, this month, as we know, we're celebrating Black History Month. I'd love for you to share your insights on why is this celebrated? Why should this be important to people in the Black community and others who can engage and and learn more about it? 
Carter G. Woodson, who is the person in the early 1900s that actually started what was first called Negro Week, but morphed into Black History Month. You know, he started with a vision. And if I could loosely quote him, he said that we as Negroes at the time, and now Blacks, of course, as we're recognized, we too play a part in what history is, not just for America, but for the world. So what started in the early 1900s has morphed into a whole month of just celebrating and recognizing all the contributions of Blacks to history. If you ask me, Jeff, I think that every day is Black history. Every day is history for everyone. But as we know, every month, or there's some significance behind how you know so many different cultures celebrate all the rich values and all those things. But as soon as February 1 comes around, Jeff, for me, I like I get excited because it's that time to just feel very proud about who I am and how I'm identified and then how I identify myself as a Black woman. And secondly, it makes me really be thoughtful about all of the different contributions that Blacks have made, specifically inventors, scientists, engineers, doctors, you know, cultural icons, musicians. There's so many of them. And sometimes I say, why does it have to be the smallest and shortest month? It should be one of the longer ones. The fact that it's recognized is great. And the secondary part of it is that we have all year to always celebrate these things. But one concentrated month is, is a lot of fun because there's so many things that we're razor focused on. But Black history is something that's important to not just me, but to you also. You know, I always tell people who are of other cultures, take the time to just learn one more fact, one more historical thing about the contributions that a Black person made to the world. And you can be enriched, you know, so... It's great. I love it. It's a really exciting time because I'm always learning something new. Sometimes I think, Jeff, that I know, like, oh, I know this inventor. I know that. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. I actually learned, and I'm not remembering her name right now, that prior to Rosa Parks, there was another woman who also protested and actually wanted to upheld, uphold her right to retain her seat on the bus. And this, if I'm not mistaken, it happened maybe a few years before Rosa Parks did in 1955. So always something new to learn. <laughs> Camila, one of the things I noticed about you as I was reading up and learning more about you and your background is you have this strong belief in what I think you call people engineering. Now, I want to learn more about what this is, why you call it that, and how you got interested in people engineering. As we know, since we're on a podcast talking about engineering, I am a mechanical engineer by trade. Somehow I figured out that I love to build and design and do different things. From since I earned my first degree in mechanical engineering to now, almost 20 years later, having worked in so many different facets of engineering, I realized that there's an art to how we think. Jeff, you and probably thousands of others that dared to major in engineering <laughs> in our undergrad years. You know, there's a unique way that we're trained to approach things in life in general, but there's a unique way that we're trained to approach picking up an object or how something is designed or how, you know, two things work together. There's so many different ways that you look at how a door is put on a hinge, you know, and how you open it and the way you close it and the forks. I mean, I can go on for days with it, but we're trained to think differently. The concept of people engineering to me is like, how do you get people to actually function the way, quote unquote, a machine functions, right? You got five different parts, you put them all together and the machine actually picks up something, puts it down or however it is, or it carries the weight of something. I think in that with people engineering is getting people to be sort of harmonized in terms of how they think. 
to take an engineering approach to what they do every day. So it's a really interesting concept. I love talking about it so much. Um, I think that now where I am in leadership, I use that sort of people engineering concept as we approach different projects, as we approach challenges or issues on different projects that we're running. It's how you think. So just a new way of thinking. Yeah. So do you mind sharing an example of how you would take a people engineering approach to a problem that you've faced in the past? If I were to think just as a really brief example, maybe I'll think of something that I recently worked on. I'm going to just keep it in some general terms. So for those who are materials engineers, work with me on this one. So polymers. Polymers are the basic building blocks of plastic. And uh, look, I'm looking around at different objects that I have here in my office. But anyway, Whenever you're looking to design a piece, a plastic, polymers have a unique way that they behave. It depends on how much heat you apply, how less heat you apply, and the concentration of the actual polymers, you know, the actual ingredients. In this case, I have a project where I have some smart, smart engineers working on it. What we're finding is that we're not getting good fit. So I'm going to use my fingers as an example. If I take, use my two hands here, move them close together, you can see how they fit. This little space in between this finger and this area here is not quite nested. So in theory, the team of smart, brilliant engineers that I have, we know the issue. But because the polymer can change depending on the type of conditions that it's exposed to, we have a, a couple of different solutions. Let's put it that way. The people thought of it as this. At the end of the day, the engineers are concentrated on, we got to get this polymer to fit right for this component. If that doesn't fit right, then we can't make the right mold. And if that mold doesn't come out right, then the 10,000 pieces that we make, chances are maybe every 30,000 will have some issues and it won't deliver the product correctly, right? So let's pause there. I've got those five to six engineers that are razor, razor focused on that. But then I have some other functional team members that are concentrated on how much supply we need to keep up with the demand that the market needs. Then I have a group of scientists who are trying to say, we've got to go to the health authority and get this thing approved and tell them, we got a new polymer. It's supposed to behave this way. It'll fit this way. We'll still be able to deliver the product, right? And that's just three different examples of different functional spaces. Now, where the people engineering comes into play is getting all those three groups to think about what is the end result? What do we need to accomplish, right? How do we take their particular knowledge from their specific areas? And now we're all STEM people, science, technology, engineering, mathematicians, right? How do we get everyone to focus on what we really need? What is most important for us, right? When I think about the concept of people engineering, Jeff, I say, how do we take that same thought process that we're using to figure out the issues with the polymer, to figure out how we get the right solutions and the right documentation to our health authority bodies, and to figure out the right solutions that we need to get our supply out to market. Take the same concept that we're using in our particular areas and apply it to us as people. Let's sense, how does it impact business? How does it impact the end? Because at the end of the day for us and the, and the um, healthcare industry, we want to get the product to our patients so that they can take that medicine or whatever it is to extend their life or to make life easier for them. They can breathe better, think better, feel better. That's it. Long example, but 
the idea is to take that same train of thought and apply it to exactly what are we all trying to get to? What is the end result? So it's really interesting. It doesn't always happen as perfect as I attempted to explain. (laughs) But, you know, Jeff, it's just getting people to take the same concepts that you utilize in your particular discipline from which you're trained on to solve real life solutions. And what we want to do is get product in the hand of our patients. I love that example. And thank you for going down that road with me and expanding on that idea, because I think, and I totally agree with this idea that we can use these engineering principles in so many other different facets than just the engineering analysis and design that we're totally used to, but we can use it to solve other types of problems, especially when it comes to how we interact with and work with other people. So I love that you are focused on that. Camila, as we move forward, I'm curious you talked about these other different facets or functions inside of STEM. So when you think of STEM in general, how do you think STEM is going to influence future global business as we continue forward? STEM is in everything we do. Science, technology, engineering, and math. It is the foundation of what drives global business. If you think about any industry, Jeff, there is STEM thought behind it. Let's talk about the Coca-Cola company. And I can't remember their uh, theme, what they do, because I don't drink soda, but I'm going to use it because that's the first thing that came to my mind. But let's think about that. Coca-Cola pride themselves on their main output is a can of soda that people have been enjoying for what, 50, 60, 70, 80 years they've been around. And sometimes we think of just that can of soda that, okay, I need soda. I'm going to have it. I'm going to put it on ice or whatever. But there's engineers behind that entire thing. Let's break down the different parts. Let's think about the soda itself. You've got those that studied food science or food engineering that determined how to maintain the flavor, taste, and look of that liquid. Number one, stem all over it. Look in the other side. You've got some uh, materials engineers that determine the type of aluminum that will be able to form properly into that can. You also have engineers that determine how to get that beautiful red color and design all over it, right? And then you also have engineers that have decided, how do you get the tab to flick open so that you can enjoy it? That's just a few parts. Then you have some engineers that have decided, how do you take that can and be able to put it in a manufacturing production line, run along the conveyor, fill, close, and get packaged up? There's so many different parts of that. There are so many different ways that STEM influences global business. You need smart, innovative thinking engineers to ensure that that can of soda gets produced the same way, tastes the same way. So Jeff, well, not Camila, Jeff and others who enjoy Coca-Cola can really, you know, continue to be a consumer, continue to support the brand and to enable it to grow. Jeff, we can think about the clothing industry. We can think about apparel. We can think about you know, Nike shoes, Puma, whatever your preference is. You can think about the cars that we drive, the bicycles that we utilize, absolutely anything. You can look around your homes right now today or the computers that we're on right now. STEM, there are scientists, technologists, engineers, and mathematicians that put thought, innovative thought into how we utilize these devices. And it does drive business because at the end of the day, Jeff, Business is driven by experts, ideas, innovation, all that to do what for a company? To increase their customer base and drive the bottom line. And what's that bottom line? Revenue. You're darn right, STEM influences global business. Let's go back to some of the topics and principles we were talking about before with 
blacks in STEM and others. In particular, I think you've worked with a lot of black women in STEM and engineering. So what do you think some of the obstacles that black women in engineering face in this very technical world? There's still not enough black women in this space. I'm still one of the only, maybe now in the last four to five years, there's two of us. That's it. And I'll tell you, as we started off this interview, I was talking about my role in the National Society of Black Engineers. That mission is so important from since the organization started in 1975 to now. We still have a deficit in terms of representation of Blacks in STEM. And secondly, even Black women in STEM. When I see a collection of Black women in STEM, it's because I'm at a NSBE meeting or a NSBE conference or a NSBE, you know, that's it. If you look at different facets of corporate America, you don't have that type of representation. Jeff, I will tell you, there's also a deficit with executive leadership in terms of Black women in the top 50 you know, companies, the top 100, the top 500. Just recently, Rosalind Brewer was selected as the CEO of Walgreens. She is the first Black female CEO of a top Fortune 100 company. What an amazing feat. If we look at Rosalind's resume, I mean, talk about just cream of the crop, rising to the top, you know, just amazing things she's done in her career. But what she represents is what we aspire to. Now, it's fair to say folks who are not identified as Black may say, God, you know, why this emphasis on Black women? Because the representation matters, Jeff. It is important that I or my younger self or other young Black girls in different cities and states have the opportunity to look up to someone that looks like them so that they can aspire. What's the saying with uh, parents? Children are a product of what they see growing up. You aspire to be what is around you. My mom used to tell me, careful the company you keep, they'll influence you, you know? So hang around smart people, maybe you might be smart. Hang around good athletes, maybe you'd be a good athlete. You know, something simple like that. But it is important that you have someone to look up to. And then I have to say this, you know what, Jeff, I'm a believer that you all, every company wants the best talent, but the challenge for a lot of companies, are you really looking in the spaces to make sure that you have diverse voices that represent what great talent is? When I think about my space where I am now in the pharmaceutical industry and healthcare, we service everyone. Our products go to every person, doesn't matter the language you speak, what you look like, it doesn't matter. So why not have the workforce represent that to bring diverse thoughts, diverse talent, diverse voices to how we develop medicines and science. And the same thing in her space for Walgreens. I mean, if you walk into a standard Walgreens store, look at the amazing assortment of products that they have there. I truly, truly think that the obstacles that we still face as Black women in STEM, is access. A lot of the things that we drive through NSBE is to ensure that young Black women, young Black men that are either in underserved communities or communities where STEM or maybe their households don't really know about the opportunities that they could really develop into, that they have access and opportunity. That's the obstacle that I think that's still there. Through organizations like NSBE, we have that opportunity to go into those communities and to have representatives like myself and all my current board members and just members in general to say, hey, if you like math or science or you're curious about how you think and approach building or designing something, you may be able to exercise that, that awesome thought in your abilities in a career such as an engineer. You can. 
So it's about access. It's about opportunity. And that's the obstacle that I think that we still face and representation. Yeah, well, I love that focus, Camila, on access, because we often think about or just look at the representation inside of companies, but it's that whole pipeline from the youth and into school. When you just look at who are in those engineering classes right now, that's the underrepresentation and the, the access isn't there. And so we need to continue to grow that at every stage of the pipeline so we can have that. So I, I love that focus that you guys at Nisby are doing across the board in that. Moving forward, you talked about in Merck and, and some of the products that you put forward, you're giving it to everyone. Everyone is benefiting no matter what their racial profile or, or whatever is. We're experiencing and seeing some things that are coming forward or being more recognized as some of these racial disparities inside of the healthcare industry. So I'm curious, any insights you have about some of these issues and how can racial disparities be improved in healthcare? So kind of continuing from the previous question that you gave me, access is a theme also in terms of do people of color, particularly Blacks, have equal opportunity in terms of accessing great health care? To me, access is a theme across education. It's also a theme across healthcare. It's a theme across opportunity. I mean, it's just there. My opinion is this. There is a bit of a myth in some Black communities about healthcare and how they should approach it. I don't want to broach the wrong statistics, but I know that over the last, say, five to 10 years, different segments of the Black community has been polled, you know, on simple questions like, do you trust your medical provider? If you have a common cold, are you going to the doctor? No, that's the response. How do you respond to the type of doctor that's treating you? Would you prefer male, female, a person of color that's a doctor or a nurse? How do you respond? Just based on the data that I've seen, the overwhelming response is that there is not a level of comfort. In the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, our history has shown us that there was some unfortunate practices that were done to Blacks in terms of practicing medicine. Many, many, many Blacks died over the years. There were different experiences that were run. Now we know during those times, Jeff, racial inequalities were just rearing its ugly head. Now in 2021, this is a different time, but we can't erase that. Those type of feelings about your healthcare provider and your access has passed on in generations. I'll tell you, because, and part of it is sort of tradition. In some Black families, they'll say, you know what, you got a common cold, get a piece of ginger, skin it, boil it with some hot water, you'll be okay. Get a nice wash rag, put it in some hot water, raise it over your head, get some mint leaves, boil it. Some of those things come from the deep African traditions, right? So there's also a sort of cultural piece to that as well. But I still think that there's trust that needs to be built with the Black community to sort of bridge the gap between the inequalities and, and the lack of access and understanding, because there's an educational piece to that as well. So I think that we have a responsibility as healthcare companies, healthcare providers, we have a responsibility. But I think I'm always a person that believes in middle ground, right? Let's meet each other halfway. Let's understand, because I'll tell you growing up, and this is a loose example, but I remember there was a time when I was in junior high. I remember the nurse said, well, today we're going to get tuberculosis shots. And I will never forget that one of my young friends, his father came in the school and raised Cain, Jeff. And when I tell you raised Cain, I mean raised the whole field. And he says, 
you guys are not going to experiment on these young black kids here. These are smart kids here. They don't deserve that. Now, he's someone who had deep roots in the South. And if I'm not mistaken, some of his family members had been part of those unfortunate and just awful experiments that were done on Blacks during those times. So he's carried that with him. And he didn't seek to understand why it was being provided. He thought it was another new age experiment. So I use that example to show that there's a a bridging that needs to happen. I think there needs to be a meeting of the minds in some of the communities to really understand what are the hesitancies, why the resistance, and sort of work through that. So I think it's both sides that need that. That's a start. I don't think we're going to solve that in one year, two years, five years, but we have to start by recognizing it's an issue because everyone deserves healthcare. Everyone deserves the opportunity to be cared for by a medical professional, you know, to live a better life despite their economic background as well. As you're working in NSBE and in other organizations, when you think of women and Black women in STEM, are there ways that sometimes as we continue to provide more access and representation, that sometimes they can actually find ways to create barriers for themselves as they move forward in some of these fields? Fear. That's that first little word that I think that we all as human beings sometimes have in front of us and it creates this sort of invisible barrier, right? But I think in particular, and I feel comfortable because I am a Black woman, but fear can get the best of us, the strongest of us could have a wall of fear that just prevents you from moving forward. And I think that it's important, and this is where the strength of Nesby comes into play. Nesby is a family. Nesby is a formidable society where we are so intertwined. We see one another. We see ourselves in one another. We've got the same passion and interest for STEM. And we all want to take those skills and that curiosity and ball it up and get these degrees, which we've been doing, and go into different corporations and just make that impact and make that difference, right? To me, Nesby creates that sort of communal platform where we can engage and connect and be understanding and have each other's back and provide mentorship and support and just really have a strong nest a strong foundation. And it's really as simple as having a mentor that says, you know what, Jeff, I believe in you. I think that you have the skills and talents to take that to any company and make an impact. And it's also saying to another person to say, I know you're majoring in mechanical engineering and sophomore year is tough because thermodynamics has been tough for everyone who have ever taken it, right? Sometimes it takes just that. And to me, I look at, at Nesby as having that opportunity to provide that type of support, to dispel the fear and to help people overcome it. It's a natural human tendency to have fear. But I think in our space, because there aren't as many persons as we spoke about, Rosalind Brewer, which you know, being the most current example of Black excellence and a Black woman aspiring to, wow, you know, an amazing level, a CEO, oh my God. But it's that because you haven't seen someone like you and you may just go from your university of being one of a small few and then go into your corporate job and being once again, one of the only, or maybe two of the only. The sort of remedy to that is staying connected to Nesby. That's number one. But number two, embrace it and be okay with being the first. Be okay with being that person that sets the foundation 
and be okay with being that person that's going to connect to non-Black colleagues, you know, white colleagues, Spanish colleagues, Latino colleagues, Asian colleagues, to show that, yes, I may be, you know, of a different race, but I'm here with the same passion as you to make a difference in, in whatever that company's objective is. So you can get over the fear wall, but it takes a supportive community. It takes a strong foundation and it takes people just telling you that you can do it. You know, you can get over that fear wall. You can. What a beautiful message, Camila. Thanks so much for sharing that, that opportunity and ways to get over fears. We connect with other people we and find those other people who can really just support us and, and love us through that fear. And even when we don't believe in ourselves, that we can kind of hold on to the fact that they perhaps believe in us and, and what a beautiful thing. So thanks so much for sharing that. Now we're going to transition into the Take Action Today segment of the show. I'm going to ask Camila for one key takeaway from this episode. We've learned a lot from her, but she's going to give us one key takeaway from what we've talked about today. Now it's time to dive into our Take Action Today segment of the show. Today, Camila will share a key takeaway for Black engineers to move forward, face their wall of fear, and how all of us can engage with the wonderful mission of Nesby. Well, Jeff, I think that in the mission of Nesby, there are three important phrases that uh, just really reign true, and they stand the test of time. Excelling academically, succeeding professionally, and positively impacting the community. To do those three things, you can't have that wall of fear. I think that what's important for us as Blacks in STEM, as NSBE members, is to really embrace the talents that we have. You know, the curiosity, the innovative thought, the ability to want to try and that can-do attitude, and know that you can hone those skills in your communities, in your universities, and also in any organization that you work in, your corporation. And you can make an impact. You have that capability. One of the things that we covered today was access. Access reigns true for education, for healthcare, and for freedom of thought. I think that it is so important that we know, and that for all of us, you know, those who are non-Blacks, that you have the opportunity to say that that next great talent, that next great CEO like Rosalind Brewer, or that next great Ken Frazier, you know, CEO of Merck, or that next great Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, great astronomer could be in one of those neighborhoods. Take the chance, open up the opportunity for a young student, a young mind, a young black girl, a young black boy, because that was me 20 something years ago. When a corporation decided that they wanted to come in our underserved environment and say those smart kids there that love math and science, let us teach them about engineering. And it made the world of a difference for me. I'll leave you with this example. I remember in our science class, when we first learned what velocity was, we were like, okay, it's this, yeah, yeah, whatever. But I remember the corporate engineers that came to our school, they said, okay, we're going to go on the rooftop. And we're like, why? All right, y'all going to drop some parachutes. We got these uh, time clocks. And we saw it happening. A simple concept of what is velocity in the classroom. We saw it real life. And they said, that's engineering. That's how you begin. This is the thought. It's how you design it. And we did so many different ways, but it's about that access in education. It's about people coming and just giving a darn about kids in different neighborhoods to say, 
that could be the next scientist. That could be the person that holds the thoughts and, and skills to develop that next great technology that's going to advance us. So that's my message from our discussion today. Thanks so much, Camila. This has been a fabulous interview. I've really enjoyed and learned a lot from you, your passion, your experience, and your care about this community and, and growing this really comes through and is quite infectious. So thanks so much for sharing with us today. Now, if people want to connect with you and the organizations that you're involved in, how can they reach out to you and learn more about what you're up to? We have so many different ways and we welcome members all the time and supporters. There is no shortage of people who can be members of our organization or those who want to help us carry out our mission. So to be able to contact me and to get through to our organization, simply go to www.nsbe.org. You can also find us on all social media platforms. We are on Instagram at Nesby, N-S-B-E. We're on Facebook at Nesby. We're on Twitter at Nesby. You name it, we're there. And within that, you could connect to our pre-college initiative. You can connect to our Nesby professionals. We have it all. I am so excited to represent the organization and to really live out that mission. And once again, Jeff, it is to increase the number of culturally responsible Black engineers who excel academically, succeed professionally, and positively impact the community. Thanks so much, Camila. It's been a pleasure, and I really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode for today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and questions. Please go to engineeringmanagementinstitute.org, where you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. And don't forget to check out our upcoming live webinar for this month at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Additionally, for those engineers struggling with unemployment or uncertain about how to make career transition, I have created some free training resources with an opportunity to join a more intensive program called the Engineering Career Accelerator. You can find more information at engineeringcareeraccelerator.com. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors. The strategies that you heard in this episode will be of no use to you unless you take action and start to implement them in your career immediately. To help you do that, we have designed a system that you can use at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. It combines live monthly webinars with PDHs, plus a private forum giving you access to coaches and premium content focused on helping you build your management and leadership skills. Join us for our next live webinar at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org, and we'll help you engineer your own success.